we can see that when patients are enabled or disabled. You can see the light is on or the light is off. The tissues are contracted or the tissues are on or able or soft and loose. And so um, this is where we all, me as a practitioner speaking now, need to pay attention to is our Shen and our connection to nature. It's, it's the pivotal piece that enables life to flow freely and smoothly. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. There's no such thing as fake it till you make it. Follow that path, you'll wind up in the land of inauthenticity and broken promises. It is true that at the beginning of anything worth attempting, there's likely a sore shortage of confidence. And that is as it should be. It's natural order. You don't get flowers before you get buds. And before that, there's the transformation of seed into stock. It does not take confidence to begin. It takes courage, a leap of faith, that your dreams are possible if you're willing to take the beating that goes along with the lessons that are sure to come your way. Now, I'm not suggesting violence with that term, take a beating, but the path will surely wear off the rough edges of your delusion, fanciful wishes, and mistaken ideas of how the world works. There is a process of refinement, like the heat and percussion of a Damascus steel blade that gets its edge through the transmutation of iron into quality steel. Like the keen edge of that kind of a blade, confidence arises through the refinement of fire and the burning away of what is not pure. It's a process that requires skin in the game. A willingness to speak to what's true, to be able to accept correction, and with a certain degree of grace and appreciation, lay to rest the mistaken ideas of what we thought would be helpful, but it turns out it's not. It's easy in the beginning because we don't see the stumbling blocks and opportunities that take us deeper into our craft. We are blind to the tough lessons that we need, but thankfully, cannot perceive. And good thing that you can't, because if you knew what was coming, you may not have the courage to sally forth. Destiny will often give a tailwind at the beginning of a new endeavor, a splash of beginner's luck to give a bit of momentum like that first push on a bicycle gives enough forward motion for balance before your feet find the pedals. There is a sort of blindness at the beginning that in time will be revealed. And then we wonder how we got ourselves into this mess. But it's the mess where the growth occurs, where we find out what we are made of and what we are not. And then to get to work doing something about that. It's that moment in the hero's journey when things fall apart. And it's not because we're incapable, but more that we are not yet capable. And that's a big difference. So yes, faking it will lead you to the mall, not the mountaintop. Faking it will take you to the amusement park house of horrors, but not the true hell of your own inconsistencies and is yet to be discovered gifts that only you can bring into this world. It is not easy and it's not supposed to be easy. The fires of development and growth are the opposite of a quiet restorative yoga class. As Carl Jung said, the cave you least wish to enter is the one that holds the greatest treasure. This is not a journey for the faint of heart, and there's no Facebook group who can give you a template. There's no master class that will take you through the steps in a logical and comfortable way. 
In the same way that we think about getting rid of phlegm by separating and discarding the dross from the clear, so too the process of acquiring skill and perspective is one of refinement. And it's true that in the beginning, you don't know how to do it. Knowing you don't know, that's a good start. Faking it never helps. But putting skin in the game of the game that you want to be in, that is a good investment. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with John Stan that centers on the key tool in our practices, needles, and how the processes of manufacturing, packaging, and use lead to tremendous amounts of waste. John has been at Chinese Medicine for over 30 years, and he's concerned not just about helping our profession to be green, but beyond that, restorative. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite 
all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. All right, friends, get ready to learn a lot about those needles that have found their way into your clinic. And beyond that, how modern manufacturing can be a part of the solution to needle waste. Let's get into this. John Stan, welcome to Geological. Well, thanks for having me, Michael. Delighted to have you. We've been in touch oh, for a number of years now. I've run into you at conferences, and um, you're kind of an interesting character. You're up there on the north end of North America. You're in Vancouver, right? Canada, the great white north. Yes, the great white north. And uh, you're an acupuncturist. You're also a supplier of acupuncture supplies. You do educational events. I don't know where you get all this chi. Uh, (laughs) there's some stuff that i know that you've been working on it has to do with like the impact that our profession has in terms of on the environment right and how you know it's been really popular these days to think about going green and recycling and this and that but like like the people who look at agriculture they're not just looking at being organic these days they're thinking about how do we restore the earth how do we make this place even better than when we showed up here? And, and I know that you've got some ideas about this kind of stuff, so we're going to get into that. But before we do, I'd love to know how you wandered your way into acupuncture and ended up with an acupuncture supply company. Well, I guess I am now in my early 60s, and like any white male in their early 60s, if you ask them the same questions, they'll probably tell you the same sequence of events that brought them into Chinese medicine, and that would be that they learned martial arts in their early years. And so I was of the generation of Bruce Lee, and I was fascinated with martial arts and uh, started studying that. And then, of course, I learned about qi. And as soon as I learned about inner qi and uh, self-cultivation and how martial arts brings you towards that, I just fell in love with the idea and I just, just something turned on. And um, my Eastern European Mm -hmm. background was um, driving me towards getting a degree in in engineering and university. And and so I followed that path for a few years. And and in the middle of my engineering training, I just, I thought, no, I am way more interested in, because I was teaching martial arts at the time. And I just, I'm, you know, I was getting bogged down into the, you know, the. I love science and I love technology, but 
I just could not see myself doing it. I wanted to work with people. I wanted to inspire people about, I was teaching martial arts, so I could see the difference that it was making in people when I taught them how to take a stance, get internal, how to like ground themselves, how to, how to work with a moving attack in the body. And, and so that was way more fulfilling for me as much as, yeah, I just couldn't see myself sitting at a desk working over drawings for a corporation and I dropped out and I started studying Chinese medicine only because one of my teachers at the time, I, I did a, an elective while I was doing engineering on religious studies and the teacher was a Buddhist monk, six foot six Buddhist monk, Jewish descent American who had basically during the draft years had become a monk and and uh, and an academic. And basically he was doing his PhD as a Buddhist monk in Buddhist philosophy. And, um, and he was talking to us about what well, we were studying Buddhism and then uh, Taoism a little bit. And he talked to us about a school of Chinese medicine in the US that he knew people were starting. And it was the NIOM, uh, the North American Institute of Oriental Medicine in Boston. And oh, no, he, no, that was, a, that was a New England School of Medicine. Oh, oh, oh. You're okay. thinking of Naomi in Seattle. It, no, no, I'm thinking of the one in Boston. So, yeah, okay, that wherever was, that, that was, is. Yeah. Yes, so, yes. And so, he, so he, he knew people that had started that school. And then I thought, oh, if acupuncture was becoming a profession in the States, it's going to do so in Canada at some point. And, and I just, just went looking for the first school of Chinese medicine that was available. And then, uh, so I started studying. So, and then three years later, uh, I was in a small group of the first Canadian TCM trained practitioners, English speaking TCM practitioners in Canada. And, uh, and at that time there were like no supplies around or you could find supplies from some suppliers, but prices were really high and, and I'd go into Chinatown and prices were really low. And I was like, what the difference, what's going on here? And why is this needle different from the other needle? And, and, uh, so much cheaper than the higher end needles. And I just started digging into it because I wanted mostly for my own practice was to just offer my patients the best quality of needles and herbs and, and the more I asked questions, the more fishy answers I got. And and when I got a straight answer, that's the path I followed. So so it led me yes. to some really good quality provide suppliers, which I started importing for myself. And then I just realized there was a need in the industry for some practitioner-driven companies that were geared towards providing practitioners with good service, good quality products, and then education too. So that's kind of how Eastern Currents started. So you were scratching your own itch in a way with the supplies. <laughs> it's like, I need this. Yeah. Yes. And, and I hear the engineer in you. Hmm. I hear that person who, I mean, what do engineers do? Engineers are great at solving problems. They're, they're great at building a solution to a well-identified problem. And so I hear this engineer in you that's still there, like, there's a problem here. Okay, I've identified the problem. The problem looks like this. Here's some useful information. Here's some sketchy information. I hear that scientific mind of yours working. How do these things work? Let's look into this. Yeah, but, and I think that as TCM, but well, that's what I loved about Chinese medicine because it's embraced both minds, both, yes. both the Western and Eastern mind. If you like, when you think about it, the Yang mind and the Yin mind, because you can't have one without the other. So I was just like, 
this is the medicine of life, right? This, so I, so yeah, yeah, that's hence my passion for it. And in the midst of college, you decided to drop out. So my parents were not happy. No, no, I, I bet they were not happy. I have ha I had a similar experience. I got three years into an undergraduate program and I woke up one day and I realized I have put my ladder up on the wrong wall. Mm. And I don't know what wall it needs to go on, but it's not this one. It's a terrifying and wonderful moment when you realize I got no idea what I'm doing here. <laughs> True. Yeah, but look where it takes you. Yep. The And I just want to hang with this for just a second because, I mean, we're going to get into some other things here, but I just want to dig into this for just a moment because it seems, especially with new practitioners, people that are just out, they're just getting started, they're just getting things figured out. And that could be anyone from a new acupuncturist to a new lawyer for that matter, right? It's like how you know that you're on the right path. It sounds like you have had some experience in your life of being able to navigate, right? You, you've got this experience with martial arts, with chi, with being able to internally sense, kind of figure things out. And it's allowed you to create companies. It's allowed you to create conferences. It's allowed you to have an acupuncture practice. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So could you tell us a bit about that compass that you rely on, that that North Star that takes you through and lets you know you're going in the right direction. That is the perfect word for it, the North Star. I, I think it just, when you feel you resonate with something, you just got to trust that and follow it. And, and I think I have an internal barometer that connects me to nature. So I feel connected to something greater than. And it's following that sense of the greater than and nature and Chinese medicine, its philosophy embraces this whole idea that we are a system within a system within another system and, and it trains us to be systems analysts. And, and it just resonated with me that no, we are, we're part of it. So when I felt being pushed in one direction and it didn't res, it didn't resonate, I, knew there had, I had to just look at what, what made me feel like it was on, it was right. Right. And we can see that. And now mm -hmm. as trained practitioners, when, when patients are enabled or disabled, you can see the light is on or the light is off. The tissues are contracted or the tissues are on or able or soft and loose. And so, um, for me, it was, and I think that this is where we all me as a practitioner speaking now need to pay attention to is our shen and our connection to nature. It's, it's the pivotal piece that enables life to flow freely and smoothly. And, and for me, I was lucky. I kind of had that as an internal guide from the beginning. I suspect we all have that internal guide. I, we do. Yeah. I really think we do. I very much resonate with your thoughts about that. It, it can get distorted. We can, attempt to turn it off. There's, there's all kinds of things that can obstruct the chi, so to speak. Uh, when I hear you talk about this internal guidance, it makes me think about the idea of the Zheng Chi, right? That, that, that aspect of chi, that aspect of, of our capital H health that is correct. It's upright. It knows what to do. It's functioning. It knows how to function. Uh, 
And it's, you know, even up to the moment of death, it's always there. It never, we may abandon it, it never abandons us. Yeah, true. Yeah, so life, for me, I've equated chi as life and the life as it emanates from us is either enabled or disabled by our mm-hmm. patterning, our conditioning, our lifestyle. And and for me, it's like, as practitioners, it's like, how do we enable life to f- unfold freely and abundantly and, and enable patients to thrive inside themselves to and i and it's very exciting i i think that it's i think we all have a very special role to play in the healing the world that we're in right now as tcm and acupuncturists yes that phrase of enabled or disabled i hadn't put it together quite that way before but i hear you say it and it rings true I, I can think of patients who come in, they've got a certain story about what's going on for them, and that story is disabling to them. They, there are resources they have, but they don't let those resources into their awareness. Yeah, and that's the narrative that um, I think you and I had a little conversation about how when a patient's narrative is their own pattern of disharmony, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a master class. You could go on with that for a while. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, one of the things that I've been wanting to talk with you about today is this idea of restoration. Mm. Right? And we're just kind of talking about restoration of the spirit. I mean, you dropping out of school in a way is a restoration of spirit. Yeah, it was being finding the path that's yours to unfold is a restoration of spirit. It it opened you up mm-hmm. instead of closing you down. And uh, I know that as a supplier, you're quite keen these days, not just on like recycling and going green and all that, but trying to figure out how can we do more? How can we leave this place better mm-hmm. than when we got here? Mm-hmm. And And so you've got some things that you've been doing with needles, I've got some questions about needles in the first place. Like these days, like how are they made? How do you know what a good needle is? There's coating, you know, there's coated needles, uncoated needles. I've never been to a needle factory. Can you, and you, and you've got a bit of an engineering mind and a lot of experience. Can you help us understand needles from like the factory side of things? Well, that's just it. I mean, I, uh, it was, it's been a, process of years of really unraveling the the process and and seeing what goes on behind closed doors because when we uh when i first of all started looking at how one needle was 10 cents or in canada it would be like when i first started it was like 20 dollars for a box of needles and then i would look in chinatown and it would be like 12 dollars a box of needles so what's the difference? Oh, ours are super smooth, they would say. Well, so why are they super smooth? Oh, yeah, they're just super smooth. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that would be it, right? And and diving deeper into it, you discover that the super smooth needles are lubricated or they're coated with um, a material. And then what is that material? And that material could be anything from a, a medical grade silicone to a machine oil that 
that is convenient uh, and cheaper, right? And uh, so it was um, machine oil. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the needles. They're less so now, but in the early days, sometimes there'd be you'd put a needle in, you'd pull it out, and there'd be a little black mark left. Um, and that little black mark was the machine oil left over on the needle. And it wasn't properly cleaned or they used the wrong oil to, I mean, they should have, they just, yeah, it was, there's a lot of things that go on. And so, for example, I really wanted to see how these needles were made. And we took a buying trip a number of years ago, it was more than 10 years ago, to Suzhou, which is the needle manufacturing capital of, of uh, China back then. And so there were a number of factories that I could go within a two and a half week period to go and view and see. And uh, so I had booked appointments. I had a translator with me and I'd booked appointments with some of the large names that were out there and then some of the smaller names. And and so I was going from factory to factory and then discovering that while this was a large manufacturer, they didn't do all the manufacturing in-house. They had some of the manufacturing there, but they parsed out some of the manufacturing to villages where they would have, say, the, the sharpening would be done in a village and then brought back to the factory. And then the factory would then um, wash the needles and put them in packages and then box them and send them out. So, so they were able to reduce their costs by sending the needles to a village or where, where a villager would just grind it on a grindstone. <laughs> Since then, needles are now machine sharpened by by and far most of them. But but back then, they were being sharpened on a grindstone, which was kind of cr yeah crazy to watch. Uh, so, but but that was my first clue as how costs can be reduced by manufacturers. I we were driving to an appointment outside of Suzhou of another manufacturer, fairly well known, and as we're driving by, I go oh, there's a factory. And it had, because I saw in the, beside the Chinese characters some wording that said acupuncture needle. And I said, whoa, and it looked like a fancy building. It looked all like, whoa, this is like a substantial company. And I said to the taxi driver, I said, is this the company? I said to actually the translator, I said, is this the company we're going to see? And he said, no, 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 ours is another 15 minutes. And I said, well, we're early, so let's just do a random drop into this company. <laughs> and... We drove in and the, the building was all marble encased with, you know, fancy looking stone and we walk into the main office and there's a bunch of guys huddled in an office there smoking cigarettes, looking over some business plans. And we walk in, they jump up and they go like, oh, oh yeah, they were so happy. Westerner coming to our factory. And, and I told them I was here looking to buy acupuncture needles. Can I see your facility? And they... Uh, kind of this, oh yeah, sure. And they pulled out some samples, showed me what they had in terms of the style of needle. Could be plastic handle, could be metal handle, could be wire round with a loop, with no loop. It was just all the variations. And and then they said, well, let's go for a tour. They took me through the front office towards the back. And then as we're walking through, I look, wow, there's a big, nice, fancy clean room over there. And it's empty. And they're still walking me away from that big fancy clean room where stuff should have been happening in there. And then we walked out to the back of the building, opened the door, stepped out into a courtyard in the back. And there in the back was a row of sheds, like garage-sized sheds with their doors open. And, and inside, there were like people making needles in the sheds, in the outside, in the back. <laughs> and, and we... 
I walked in and they're like, there they are huddled over their desk. And I have pictures on our website of that facility in the back. Um, just, I kind of discreetly took pictures and, and, uh, that's how they did it when they were being audited by the medical device manufacturer certification body, all of that, that was all inside and it was all inside and being done in the fancy clean room and, and so on. But when the auditor was not there, because those, those buildings are, you know, you know, costly to operate. There's air filtering that has to go happening and processes and procedures in place that um, need to be you know, meticulously followed. But when you're, you know, doing it in the back back courtyard, no environmental, you know, concerns in terms of air conditioning and so on and so forth. It was, yeah, you reduce your costs, right? And that's how they were able to make a cheaper needle than some of the other suppliers. So it really taught me a lot of, about the type of metal that's used, the handle metal that's used, the paper on the outside of the blister pack that you tear off, it could be a cheaper paper or a more expensive paper. And the cheaper the paper is, the, the less likely that needle is to be sterile over the period of expiry date, like in generally three years. But if that paper is cheaper, you will. it may not be sterile. And I, you probably noticed, I don't know if you, I've noticed it, the copper handle needles, if they're close to their expiry dates, you look in the package and it seems like a little black on the copper handle or a little sort of tarnishy looking on the copper handle needles. And I go, well, that's because that manufacturer used a cheaper medical paper. And that medical paper is highly coated with chemicals to create a barrier that allows the ethylene oxide gas, which is used to sterilize the needle, to penetrate into the packaging, sterilize the needle, and then once the gas has been been sterilizing the needle, then that paper barrier is meant to protect the needle from getting contaminated by the outside. So, and it it lasts three years basically before moisture starts to seep in, and then then bacteria can grow and so on. But if you have a cheaper medical paper, then things the you know moisture gets in and the copper starts to oxidize, and that's why I was like, oh, that's why some needles have this little kind of tarnishy look on them and and it's because the paper is cheaper so everything you know a needle could be inspected most good quality needles have 40 to 50 to 60 inspection stations as they're being in manufactured where they're like they stop they took they do a quality check and then they go on to the next phase of manufacturing the cheaper needles have 10 maybe 5 you know inspection spots and in that way more you know a lot of needles are fairly okay but there's more in the cheaper needles more not okay needles right you'll find more of them it's hard to produce millions of needles consistently perfect all the time and but but um but where there's well, when they're they're cheaper, you get more defects and more more challenges. And I took I, we did a study of, at the University of British Columbia where I I bought a bunch of random needles and I brought them to the electron lab, the microscope, electron microscope, and we we blew them up five hundred times. So you could really see the shape. See, really, really Are they could smooth? The Do they have little burrs on them? All that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like I called it the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's a lot that goes into needle manufacturing. We as practitioners should know why things are the way they are. And although we all need to be cost conscious as business 
people, running our own little clinics, I was, you know, you've got to find that middle road like anything in nature. Like something too cheap is just not good. And yeah, if you like Rolls Royce kind of needles, that's fine too. But but if you really want to be cost effective or cost conscious, you should not just, you should find a mid-place needle. That's, you can at least be sure that the quality is there. Well, yes. Uh, quality and price may or may not ha have anything to do with each other. Although that being said, something that is very, very inexpensive, it's likely that the quality is missing. All right, you can pay a lot for something. Hopefully it's better quality. But certainly when you're paying bottom dollar, I'm thinking of a contractor I once hired to do some work in my clinic with repairs. Never hire the lowest bidder. That's what I learned. Never hire the lowest bidder. Bad news. And that's what I learned on my needle discovery journey. Like that was when I saw the facilities and what how they were being run, whether they're vertically integrated, meaning that everything is done in-house or whether they're being parsed out to, you know, to villagers to do part of the manufacturing, all of that translated into the bottom line for the company. And, and, and yeah, they could make a two cent needle, but you're really getting two cents worth of product. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. So, one of the things that I have noticed about needles over the years, first of all, they're like tremendously and easily available. I mean, I came into acupuncture in the mid 90s. I started my education, started practicing in 1998. So I was not in that first wave like you. I was, I heard about people where it's like, oh yeah, just getting needles was difficult. Mm -hmm. For me, it's always not been that hard to find something that was reasonably quality. But what I'm hearing from you is, there are technologies that have evolved over the years where we've had, we've gone from people literally sitting in their village sharpening needles by probably a low wattage light bulb mm -hmm. to massive factories of automation where needles probably are not even touched by human hands at this point. It's true. They've definitely, one of the big challenges moving from hand sharpened needles to machine sharpened and that's no easy fact because it's not easy because the needles are are so thin and to create a needle tip profile that is consistent and sharp that's no yeah 
and do that mechanically is not easy. But more and more companies are able to do that now. And the better quality companies have better machines, basically. Simple as that. In terms of chemicals and such, because as an acupuncturist, I just I have this little box of needles and I open them up and there's these pretty little needles inside. And by and large, they're as perfectly sharp as they need to be. And they just work well. I don't even think so much about it. And then at the end of the day, you know, I got a little, you know, thing in the, you know, needles go in the needle uh, disposal thing and garbage goes into the garbage. But as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking about all the manufacturing and you're talking about machine oils and you're talking about gases that go through papers and special papers and coatings. And I'm wondering what other kinds of things go into creating a needle behind the scenes that we're never going to see because we're just opening up a package of clean needles, which is a miracle also because we don't need a damn autoclave. And that's super helpful for everyday life. What kinds of manufacturing issues do we maybe want to be thinking about in terms of damage to the planet? Are there toxic chemicals and substances that are part of the process? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's where our, when I started really digging into how can I as a practitioner, and then how as we as a company, can we actually reduce the environmental footprint of our profession? I started to really dig into how, how we yeah, have what's in, involved in all the different processes and what kinds of chemicals are being used, the different handle metals, the metals of the handle, like whether it's copper or silver or aluminum or stainless steel handles, plastic handles, all of those have a footprint. And for example, I just was a lover of copper handle needles. That was like, I loved the, the energy feel around them was that because copper is a active metal and stainless steel is like a different metal. So when you have two, and here's the science part of myself talking, it's like when you have two metals of different uh, metallurgical properties, there's a flow, there's an exchange of electrons that occurs between them. And so when you actually, so copper is like a, a yin metal, silver is like a, the stainless steel is like a yang metal, and you put that in somebody's body, uh, the salt in the tissue ionizes the stainless steel and the copper then has a draw it pulls it pulls copper ions out of electrons out of the copper into the stainless steel so you get actually a little bit of a microcurrent it's a little more lively in a way i had not thought about so the, that well it, it has its own yeah it's like a, like a battery right two metals in a acidic solution or a salty solution it will create a little bit of a flow which is why that was probably the first quality type of needle that people made, right? They knew that or they decide they realized that. So I loved them until I figured I realized that in the manufacturing of copper handled needles, because copper is an active metal, they had to dampen its ability to tarnish because it if it tarnishes too fast, it doesn't look good. So they would bathe the copper in a copper cyanide solution to create a sheen that uh, would again help reduce oxidization. And and that copper cyanide solution, then after so many uses, gets thrown into the landfill, and it's just uh, very toxic. 
And so I had to give up the idea that that was a good thing. I had to let go and, and I looked at what kind of metals. Stainless steel is a, is a, is a very re recyclable, repurposed material. And um, it doesn't have the same subtle microcurrent that a copper handle needle would. But I still have my fingers where I can put my chi through that metal and direct it and still give that that energy through my intention and my action and the fingers and my and my own um, universal chi. So I, I've, I had to make that change. I said, okay, you've, well, as much as it's pretty, it's, I guess, on one hand, you theoretically it would make sense to use copper handle needles, but environmentally it doesn't make sense. And so I had to make that choice. So I switched from that. So you have things like the, the copper cyanide, and then you have the ethylene oxide gas, which to sterilize ethylene oxide gas is super toxic. And and they have these two feet thick walls of you know these chambers where they put these cartons in that are all have acupuncture needles and and then they pressurize it with this ethylene oxide gas, which surprise when you open the gas chamber goes where into the environment, and they did a study that like you know like over I think it was three tons of ethylene oxide gas gets released into the environment just through medical sterilization in a year. Now that's just another burden that is is part of the profession so newer types of sterilization are gamma ray sterilization which is using uh, high energy beams to sterilize and uh, that you don't need the medical paper to allow the gas to go in so you have like little plastic pouches that that can be used to hold the needles in and the gamma ray sterilization lasts for five years so it's actually less impact using gamma ray sterilization um, plastics, different types of plastics, the thickness of the plastic tube, the length of the handle, and the length of the tube all have an environmental impact. Like if you have a super long handle, that means you need a, a longer tube to help guide that needle in. That means more plastic. And so as I dug into it, I realized that all these factors have variables that we could tweak and reduce impact on the environment if we designed a needle that was specifically designed to be earth friendly, and hence um, that's how we came up with our our own brand called AccuFast. You know what? You can take the engineer out of engineering school, but you can't take the engineer <laughs> out of the acupuncturist. <laughs> I think we're all engineers. I think we are so. I mean, the human being is just such an incredible. Yeah, beautiful expression of life. And in, in that fullest of potential, we are all curious creators. We, if we allow ourselves to be, we create. We're creators in many ways. And, and creating, whether it's just creating a smile on somebody's face or creating a new widget to make using needles easier. It's, it's all the same. It's the, it's just tapping into the inherent creativity of the life force within us. And yeah, I, I love it. Well, I think there's another piece to that equation as well, which is that we take that creative, that innate creative energy and we aim it at something. Are we aiming it at ourselves and our own enjoyment of life and comfort? 
which is not a bad place. We need to take care of ourselves. Or are we aiming it at a problem that vexes us? We would like to see the world different in some sort of a way. And so we take that energy and we aim it at that. Now, I don't know about you. My experience has been when I look out into the world and look at a problem that I'd like to see solved, it's not going to get solved in six months. It's probably not going to get solved in six years. It might take a decade. It might take beyond the length of my life, but I could at least move things in a, in a certain direction. Depends on the problem. <laughs> Depends and, on the problem. Yeah, it could be an instant, and uh, or it could be a or it could be a lifetime. But really, the problem is internal because if I don't see myself as able to change, then the problem isn't going to be solved. And so, the instant change is like assuming or taking the stance that I am change. Then the problem is solved right away because you are then initiating a process of now discovery and adaptation, change. So it, it kind of is both, right? Yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and I agree with you. There are problems that get solved in an instant, right? Sometimes a patient will get an insight. We're talking to them and all of a sudden they get an insight and, and everything changes just like that. And, and then other times, yes, it takes more time. And I remember earlier in this conversation talking about that sort of North Star that that's like always kind of there, right? The needle wants to point north. There's that aspect. So you've learned a lot about needles in being a distributor and, and in being an acupuncturist and in being curious. And this is really helpful today, getting a look behind the scenes at what goes into these wonderful little devices that for the most part, we don't think so much about. They're there. They've been pre-sterilized for us. When I was in acupuncture school, we would use an autoclave. They taught us how to use an autoclave. Now we would not autoclave needles and use them on anyone except the person that they'd been originally used on. But we learned that process of how to run an autoclave. And I remember when I first got out of school and I was thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I should buy an autoclave. And I went and looked at the price of an autoclave. And I realized it would take me decades of practice for the money that I would save on the convenience of the single-use disposable needles. But again, as you point out, there's that process of making them. And there's also the process of getting rid of them. As there's more and more acupuncturists, there's more and more needle waste. And the style of packaging you use is also the genesis of that waste. So we were all trained on single-use, single one-tube, one-needle type of packaging. And by and far, the majority of practitioners are using that style of packaging. And then from there, the bulk packaging came about. And uh, some early adopters and have started to use that, and more and more have use them. So the younger generation uses that, I think. Um, however, the, the when you look at the amount of waste that a single tube and one needle, one tube generates, it's, it's pretty sh startling. In fact, we created a waste calculator to show to practitioners or to allow practitioners to actually see how much waste their, their brand is generating. 
And we took 32 of the most popular brands out there from the single one tube, one needle to the you know 500 needles in one box to a thousand needles in one box. And then we measured all of them. So we got the volume of material that, that would be wasteful. I mean, the needles themselves would be like put in a sharps container, but everything else is like waste, right? And so in the calculator, you can put in like how many needles you use on a patient and how many patients you see in a day. And then you could, it would automatically calculate the waste based on the brand you chose. And so when you look at a single tube user, um, the amount of waste that say somebody who's like seeing 10 patients a day and they use 16 needles per patient, like four on each side in the front, four on each side in the back, that's 16 needles easy on a treatment. Um, you'd be using 800 needles within a week, basically. And that 800 needles, if it's one needle, one tube is eight boxes of needles. And, and then if you look at what the waste calculator showed us that that's equivalent to like one within a month, like a large kitchen sort of bag of garbage. And then if you multiply that by 12 months, that came to be about nine of those large uh, trash cans that people put outside their doors to, for the garbage truck to pick up. So nine of those a year would be waste that we generate on a kind of an average size of of a pack practitioner practice just and, and that's just packaging that's just packaging yeah and that's not including all those little tabs well all, it's includes all that it includes all that but no 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 but what i'm saying what i'm saying about those little tabs is i notice that those little tabs they don't always make it in the garbage can they end up everywhere yeah because yeah. that, there's a little electrostatic charge, it'll like get on your fingers, yep. and then it'll get into a pocket, or it'll go here, or the cat finds it. Or mm -hmm. I've found those little those little tabs that hold the needles in place in the darndest of places. Yeah, no, they they're the pesky little uh, gnomes of uh, of our profession. If you're using them, yes, they are. And uh, and so with uh, so from that, the bulk pack needles you can see in our waste calculator that that when you put in those brands that have a, a thousand needles per box, you've, you reduce your waste significantly. It's like major, like, like you would end up with like half a garbage bin in a year. Like it's like, it's like serious a lot. And then with the brand that we developed, the AccuFast earth friendly needles, it's even half of that. And all the materials we used in our brand are environmentally, lower impact than what's out on the market yeah mm -hmm. how are those needles sterilized are you using gamma ray on those you were mentioning that earlier yeah they're they're gamma ray sterilized and um we we decided to look for repurposed materials for the boxes because right now <clears throat> all the boxes are made from paper cut down trees and uh, and then they're shellacked with a lacquer to make them look shiny so our so we found a manufacturer that uses sugarcane fiber and repurposes that into a, a cardboard paper. So we use that for our boxes and we reduce the size of the boxes. Our boxes are the smallest on the market. Like like when you look at like one box of a thousand needles, it looks like a box of a hundred. Sugarcane fiber. Yeah. Repurposed. I've never heard I've heard of bamboo, I've heard of all kinds of other things. Sugarcane. Yeah, sugarcane fiber is called bagasse. And, um, and it's this, after all the sugars taken out from the sugar cane, you have this fibrous material that can be then reworked and turned into a paper product. 
a paper-like product, but it is compostable and, um, and recyclable. So, so it's an exciting material, and that's how where we made um, our boxes from. So no trees were cut down in that process. You were talking about the process of change, mm -hmm. and I think is I just well speaking for myself. Sometimes it's hard to make a change because I'm just kind of in a groove. I'm just comfortable with something. Mm -hmm. Some time ago, I did move from those single tube, single needle packages, mostly because I hated those little tabs. Like I was saying, I'm not kidding you. Those those things just drove me crazy. I hated like they'd show up in the garden for God's sake. I mean, it was nuts. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. So I remember moving to the bulk packaging, which I thought was a tremendous leap forward. But then there's this whole idea of, well, okay, so I open up this package in needles and I'm going to use four of the 10. What do I do with my next patient? Am I going to keep using that? I've got a tube here. It's been on someone else's skin. What am I going to do with that? So it's not as easy, at least in my mind, it's not as easy as, oh, I'm just going to switch to this other thing. I've got to switch how I'm thinking about sterilization. Maybe I've got to switch how I'm working. Have you got thoughts about, I mean, there is the extra waste, absolutely. But in terms of like cleanliness and sterile field and all of that, even though there's more waste with those other needles, there is that sterile aspect. Can you speak to that? Well, they were just easier to use in the sense of you didn't drop needles or you didn't like spill a package of open needles, like you say. Like that's what I found really frustrating was I tried to switch to the bulk pack needles, and I just found them frustrating because there was like a an open tray when you open that needle, and like you say, you're there's a tube in there, and I would find that okay, they've given me ten needles in one tube, but then I needed. 16 needles. So I open up another pack and then there's another tube. And what do I do with that other tube? And so I, I would use one tube per patient. And so then I ended up having more tubes and then I'd end up spilling the tube, the needles. And then, and then I, the paper, when I pulled it off, didn't form a nice seal. How do I seal it in between patients? Or if I had to two or three needles left at the end of the day, are they okay in the morning? How do I create a clean field so that they stay aseptic to the next day, right? So that's where all of, I mean, I just really, that, well, those are the issues and the problems for me that I, I, I put creative energy into. And we using the, the new type of packaging that, that is in our brand, the pouch pack, it's a plastic pouch. We did not include tubes. I invented some accessories that just make creating a clean field around the needle super easy. You contain the needles in a hygienic way. You can open the package and it's good for 24 hours. It's clean. We created a, an Accu base, like a little magnetic stand that you can take those needles and place them around wherever you're working and there's no spillage. And then at the end of the day, you just put them on your little parking spot in your desk there and cover them and they're good next day. So... We actually have a study going on to see how many days before an open pack becomes septic or that has bacteria growing on it. And I think um, it's been said that with the NCCOM, 
and other regulatory bodies that an open, like an open pack of needles should be okay for, you know, has to be used within 24 hours, as long as it's in a clean field and contained and so on. But, but really we created accessories that are super sweet that once you try them, it's like, wow, this is a no brainer. It's very easy, but it does, it does still take an, a, a, a kind of a willingness to want to change. And to me, that's where we need to be looking at the signs of, of what nature is telling us. We are in a crisis. We do there, you know, in October, 2019, 11,000 scientists, you know, put out this big press release saying we are in an environmental crisis. If we don't do something, uh, we, we're in trouble. And we as practitioners see the trouble in our patients. <laughs> it's like our patients are a reflection of the environmental disaster that's going on out there because their bodies are overloaded with toxins, their lifestyles are excess yang, deficient yin as a root cause of a lot of issues. And so we have to see the signs and take action. And I think I'm like a troubadour saying, hey, we can do this, it's easy now. <laughs> Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. The acupuncturist engineer is looking at this and thinking, yeah. how can yeah. we have less waste? I, I really appreciate mm -hmm. your long perspective. And even thinking about things like, okay, needle handle size. Well, okay, on any individual needle, that doesn't mean much. On hundreds of thousands or millions of needles, how much more paper is needed, how much more steel is needed, how much more of anything is needed. You're looking at this larger footprint, not just the needle itself, but like the whole process. Exactly. And, and all those little bits. And, you know, I think as practitioners, we are trained to look and work with our patients in ways that we both focus on the small specific, but we also focus on the larger global. It's built into thinking about Chinese medicine. It's a, yeah, it's, we are trained systems analysts. We are environmental environmentalists because we're looking at the environment of the ecosystem, cellular ecosystem. And we're, and 
and following the laws of nature or the laws of yin and yang and five phases. And we know that the individual is living in an environment too. And if that environment means they're sitting in front of a desk, in front of a computer eight hours a day, that environment has an impact on the cellular environment. So that's why we're always encouraging, get out, do a walk, do movement, get, change the scene, move your chi and blood. And I've, I feel I've, become, since studying Chinese medicine and understanding yin and yang, I'm so close to nature now because I, I can see the patterns. I know that the system works everywhere. Animals, like that's why we have veterinarian acupuncturists now that use TCM philosophy to change uh, animals' health. You can use it in gardening. You know, the soil is too moist, too damp, too dry, too this. We can use it in our society, right? Or, you know, is somebody out there shouting negatives and, and controversial statements about something? It's like, yeah, he's in a young excess state and our culture is going into a polarized environment. We can see the tensions because we can feel them now as practitioners. So I think making the change and becoming conscious as a profession is the next step for us. And I'm hoping that whatever we can do as a company and as a practitioner, I can make that change easy, make it to reduce as a profession our carbon footprint. Have you got other thoughts and ideas beyond the needles that we as acupuncturists can become, again, beyond green and interrestorative? In, hmm. in terms of our practices, in terms of of the supplies we use, or just the ways that we might move through our day. Yeah, well, I must say that most of my thoughts about what are the tools we use and how much waste those tools generate, that is the f first big major leap that we have to change. It's just, it, it, it is in our face, and it was in my face, and it was bothering me enough, and to talk to my, my business partner, my life partner, Kelly, and say, we need to do something about this. And then in terms of other clinical practices, the use of you know natural substances, essential oils for cleaning and for disinfecting top, you know, the surfaces and becoming conscious of how much paper waste we generate in the clinics and being conscious of, of just really making that also working with the patients to help encourage them to become more environmentally conscious too, because it's like what we can do in our clinics, but also what we can kind of stimulate our patients to do. There's, there is, it's a continual learning curve and, and I'm sure other materials that we use in the clinic, like herbal plastic bottles that we have our, our herbs in plastic bottles and the granules or how do we repurpose those? It's just making sure that there's a recycling and a repurposing program in place. If you can, and we're all creative beings, I'm sure we can all find ways to, to reduce, reuse and recycle, right? Yes. Yes. You know, I hadn't thought about this until we're having this conversation. We're talking about working with our patients and helping them understand some of the impacts. And I was, I was just thinking weight loss is on a lot of people's minds. They often think acupuncture is going to make them lose weight. Of course, changing their lifestyle is what's going to make them lose weight. It's not uncommon for us to talk to people about shop these shop, the edges of the supermarket mm. 
Well, guess what else the edges of the supermarket has? It has minimal packaging. I was just thinking, wow, I'm wondering if as I'm talking to my patients about food and diet and being more healthy, that I could also bring in this environmental aspect and go, you know, your recycling load on the planet is going to go way down when you're not buying all those boxes of prepared stuff. You know, for people that are open to that kind of a message. I think we do it in a more subtle way, in a more um, magical way. In, in a, and this is why I think that we were just, we like TCM and acupuncturist practitioners are really the enzyme of change in our planet. We, we actually, when we take, when a patient comes into our door, there's an opportunity to change the world, right? One patient at a time, because when we change that person's, contractions to their their disabled parts of themselves into enabled parts when we give them give them the opportunity to have more chi by opening up their blockages when we give them herbs to help improve their energy that person is going to have the energy to actually take that wrapper and put it in a recycling bin instead of just putting it into a garbage bin they're going to start to do like they're going to have the energy to separate out the plastics and the papers because most if your cheese not there you're if you don't have the energy you're just like gonna just throw it in the garbage it's just garbage but as you become more liberated with more chi then you have more awareness oh that's uh, this is recyclable i'll put that there it's a little bit more effort to separate the paper and the plastic and the the metals and the and and so on but yeah, and then you have to then bag them up differently and put them in the garb in the recycling bins differently. Paper goes here, blah blah blah. And but when you have more energy, you're more likely to do it. And that is where the magic is. It's like you give somebody some energy and they'll do the right thing. If they don't have the energy, then they they default to the lowest effort needed to get by, right? I love that idea of more chi as a kind of liberation. And this and this comes back to that North Star. This comes back to that that internal compass that we have, that if we have more chi, and if that chi is clear, the compass is more readable. Yeah, and you do you just naturally follow the natural mm-hmm. process of what what is right or what just feels right or just you now have more energy. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't do this before. It's just not that hard, right? Because you you didn't have the energy to break through the barrier of not doing. It was just simpler to not do. But when you have more chi, and that's where we step in, that's where we are. We're. I just want to shout out to practitioners like you are. You are the healing balm of our planet right now, because <laughs> our medicine really does give give patients the opportunity to be their best self. And when you're your best self, then then you're going to do the right thing. It's so surprising. I I think about years that I've spent trying to help people kind of think through living their life better. Mm -hmm. And that usually has been an utter failure. People don't like being told what to do. (laughs) And I think I've come to it on my own, exactly what you're saying here. You help people become more enabled. They fall into a deeper coherence with who they are they will do things in a way that is who they are. They will come up with their own solutions for how to live 
into a better life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll ask us for advice, but I think more often than not, there's they're open to serendipity. They're open to change. Something sparks them that previously they didn't have the energy to engage with, and they find their own unique way. Exactly. I mean, everything is unique, but there's always a there are laws, natural laws. There yeah. are, and if you work with those natural laws, the bounty of creation is available to us. So things will be done differently, but they still follow the natural laws of the yin and yang of the five phases. And, and, um, and I think that when we enable patients, yeah, they will instinctively just have the chi to do what is better. Right. And that's, again, like I'm repeating myself. That's what's so exciting about it all. You've been practicing acupuncture for how long now? 32 years. <laughs> 32 years. You, you sound as excited as someone who is new in their practice. Well, that's because I practice my medicine. I do qigong and meditation, exercise, eat right, try to live the good life. But And when you do that, then life just keeps on happening inside of you. You want to be part of the adventure. And I kind of hate it, actually, when I hear practitioners of my own age going like, eh, well, I'm older, you know, and and uh, I don't like changing and I don't like learning new things. They'll learn academic new things, but like to change how they actually do things, sometimes they're resistant to it. And I was like, what? No, you are a TCM practitioner. That means life should flow freely and abundantly in you. <laughs> so I'm a bit of an evangelist that way too. So <laughs> excuse my effervescence about it. No, no. The, I think the effervescence is one of the ways that you know that your chi is moving. And there's a certain kind of trust, I think, that we have in our natural processes. We're talking about the natural world. When we get away from that and when we get blocked, when we get disabled, as you were saying, then we can't imbibe the full measure of the energy that is available to us, the energy for change, the energy for healing, the energy for connecting, the energy for mm -hmm. doing the work that we're here to do. And that, I think, in our profession in particular, we have this yangsheng idea. We have this idea that we need to cultivate ourselves. And there's so many ways of cultivating ourselves. I mean, whatever it is that gladdens your heart is a deep, mm -hmm. important kind of cultivation. Yeah, and, and that's... Well, that's just the whole thing. It's like Yang Shen is enabling life. And and we have the principles, the tools, our breath, our thoughts as a way to encourage Qi to flow, right? And how we think and how we breathe are all ways in which we do that. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, we're all human too. And, you know, we don't want to get up and do our exercises some days and we, we you know, we want to eat that extra piece of cake at the, <laughs> for dessert. But, but I think, you know, watching the shift between that sort of part of us that is like Yang Shen oriented that wants to do the right thing and do all the exercise, do all the internal self-cultivation, do all the recycling, do all the, all the right things to make the world a better place. And then there's the yin side, which just, doesn't just wants to be it just doesn't want to change it just wants to celebrate its current isness as is and 
no effort is needed because everything's perfect as is, right? And so there's like the tendencies to want to do and not do. And, and as TCM practitioners, we know it's always like bringing those two places together. There's bringing that middle road together where we're give ourselves permission to be human and maybe not do the right thing sometimes by throwing out that piece of garbage that should have been repurposed and recycled. And then, then challenging so ourselves the next day to do the right thing and, and repurpose and recycle the materials. And, and, and it's a little bit of both and we're, and it's, that's really where it all is, is in the middle, the middle way, right? It absolutely is both. And I so appreciate your perspective that yin is happy with itself just as it is. Mm -hmm. There's an aspect of yin that's like that. When you think about people that are extremely, they've got a lot of yin spleen energy and they're happy just to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. <laughs> people that are super busy, that kind of yin can be medicine for them. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have mm -hmm. too much yin, you need some more yang. If you got too much yang, you need some more yin. The the middle way, yes. And I, again, I'm struck by and I so appreciate. Yin is just happy as it is. Ah, I used to call that lazy, but but now I've got a <laughs> sense of oh, there's a little bit of yin excess. Okay, I can work with that. <laughs> so, John, thank you for all of this conversation today, I come away even more inspired to do the work that, uh, that I get to do in my clinic. Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate the opportunity to share my journey and the journey to create a brand of needles that is reducing the impact of our waste on the planet, our eco, our footprint. And plus we've also initiated a grow a forest movement that we're calling practitioners to join, which is that uh, when, when they purchase a box of needles, Acufast needles, we are donating money to plant trees. And I'd encourage you to look up that and, and find out more about it because it is a way that we as practitioners can not only while consuming, uh, we can also generate through the oxygen that these trees will, will supply to the environment. Here we are again with restoration. Yeah, and yeah. and just you know, our goal is to, to plant a million trees in within five years, and and that million trees will generate oxygen for two million people because one tree generates enough oxygen for two people, and um, and it helps reduce the um, the carbon emissions in the nature. And I think as a profession, we can really get behind just yeah being fully expressive in both consuming and generating at the same time. Yes. Well, thank you, Mr. Acupuncture <laughs> Engineer. <laughs> um, what's the website? I'll, I'll put it up on the show notes, but where can people go, especially if they want to check out that waste calculator and blow their minds? Yeah, so that's uh, it's acufastneedles.com. Acufastneedle.com. John, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. It was, a, it was a real fun, fun time getting to share thoughts and ideas with you. I so appreciate John's perspective on the permutations and the transformations of yin and yang 
how they really are at the core of the transformative processes within us, the uh, incredible activity that can come out of yang, and especially how yin in its quiescence converge on laziness. His engineer's eye view of the needle industry was quite eye-opening for me. And his perspectives on looking at not just how we can help our industry to be sustainable, but how it's important for us at this moment in time to look at how we can relate to our earth and use our practices to in some ways help to restore the environment in which we all share and live within. And finally, that idea that we all have this internal compass. We all have something that points toward our true north. And it's in us. It's inside of our patients. And our job as practitioners is to help take away the impediments so that people can find their own unique way in our world. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.